What's up, everyone? My name is Tebs, and thanks so much for checking out the Superpower Podcast. This podcast was created to celebrate young African women who are excelling in their business, careers, and lives. We want to salute you and give you flowers while you can still smell them. Every week, we will be profiling a boss babe and finding out from them how they have harnessed their superpower and what more we can expect from them. So stay tuned and make sure to subscribe to the channel. Follow us on all our social media pages at Superpower Podcast. Leave us a review and even drop a voice note on our channel shouting out ladies who are inspirational to you. The official hashtag for anything on this podcast is hashtag Superpower Podcast. Enjoy. Hi everyone, it's Tebs and you're listening to the Superpower Podcast. Now, this week I'm introducing a new segment to the podcast called The Deep Dive, where we get to look at one very specific topic. And for the first one, we'll be looking at MBA, Masters in Business Administration. What is it? Why do people do it? You know, because I've heard so many people say, ah, it's a networking, I get to network. Um, And there's just so much that I want to actually find out about it. So I've invited a good friend of mine. Her name is Maureen Longa. She recently did her MBA at INSEAD. I think she'll tell me how to how it's pronounced. Um, But yeah, she she she's on the podcast. How are you doing, Maureen? I'm good. Thanks, Tibbs. Good to be here. I'm excited to be part of this journey and hopefully my wisdom can help somebody else so they're better prepared than I was. Of course, of course. I mean, um, Maureen's a CA, guys. So she's like a smart chick, qualified, professional, the whole thing. And she still decided to do her MBA. So why did you think, Maureen, it was important for you to do your MBA? So... I'd been working for a while before I decided to start having serious considerations for towards an MBA. And I think for me, what was more um, the motivation factor is that I hit a bit of a plateau in my career. So things were becoming stagnant. I started talking to mentors, sponsors in the organization, and it didn't feel like a lot of interesting things were coming up. I guess it ends up being that typical middle management where they say, you know, just do the long, hard years, invest in the years and something will pop up. And also one doesn't know how long these years are. I ask them like, what are the interventions, (laughs) you know? They're like, don't worry, you know, especially millennials. They're like, just just keep calm. It'll work out. Just keep working. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that wasn't sufficient for me. You know, I didn't want to be 50 and still sitting in that job, especially if they weren't giving me interventions. And another part, because I've been working for so long, I just had that employment fatigue. Like, I just wanted to take a step out and just re-strategize what career looked like. Um, I started as a CA. I had pivoted a little bit out into mining. I was ready for the next pivot. I just didn't know where I wanted to go and what was out there. You know, I think the world had changed so much since we last studied. I was finishing, yeah. like, CA that time. Zuckerberg is dropping social media. Where was that in <laughs> So (laughs) the world had adopted, had moved on quite fast. And I thought I could use the MBA as a tool to re-strategize career, also to network. I mean, don't underplay the value of having different people in your network that are speaking like hope, you know. If you're having a lot of people who are like 
also flat. And I had people in my network who were also employment fatigue and we were waiting. We were talking about retirement, like it was great success. Like, oh, when we retire, we'll be able to achieve <laughs> our dreams. <laughs> and you guys had just literally got started and you're already thinking of retirement. Jeez. Oh, but it was a decade in, right? So you also find a lot of politics. So I think I just wanted that yeah. energy and yeah, the MBA would unlock a lot of things in terms of opportunities. Also, when I did the research, you see, like, of course, it's statistically, it's not to say it's guaranteed, but more likely than not, one who does have an MBA has a lot more promotions, trajectory for growth is higher. So those were still interesting stats. So I think it was okay. that. It was stagnation. It was employment fatigue. It was the stats look good. And why not, you know, uh, why not just do it? Specifically, since I didn't have many, like, responsibilities, no kids or <laughs> family that I had to like <laughs> discuss with it was just me and therefore it made okay, it easier okay. discussion mm. and then um, I, I'm not sure if you can answer this but with an MBA like do you have to do it full-time are there like part-time courses where you can still work um, and do your MBA because I know for a few people um, they might still need to keep their day job um, and still study like after hours so is it is that actually offered by different institutions so that exists and I think one shouldn't also underestimate the amount of commoditization of knowledge like you can even go on Coursera and Udemy you don't actually have to go and do a structured MBA in an institution the question becomes personal like what do you want to do if you just want the knowledge it's easier to troubleshoot and go get the knowledge yourself. It's cheaper that way. If you want Google. to have the network, <laughs> yeah, right? If you want to have the networks, if you want the space to really, you know, engage with the topics, engage with the learning, also ask yourself the hard questions. It feels then a, a, a full-time can work. There is a pros and cons, you know, of course, the, the cons is the investment. It tends to be a little bit hefty. So if you do a part time, one can then just still have the employment leg. So you still have income coming every month and you don't have yeah. to give it up. But the other thing is if you're employed, then how do you balance it? Already we have work life balance as a challenge. Now imagine that yeah. you know, when you add a new leg, work life study, like <laughs> how oh. will you be able to maintain that momentum, especially if you or by yourself in your house, you work 12 hours or 10 hours or eight hours, you come home, you're exhausted. Will you have the motivation to, you know, stick to it, study by yourself? If you do, then that also helps you to do a part-time. If not so much, maybe the community of a, a full-time helps you because you get to see people doing it. So you start realizing, actually, I need to do this as well. And also the support, right? So when you're on campus you look up in the students so you know who to ask if you are lost there's tutors there's professors always on campus if you're alone the touch points need to be more calculated you need to have read for so that I'm going to have an issue so that when you do have the class you're better prepared you know what yeah yeah, you actually need to be more prepared geez okay so you studied full-time because I I I already can hear that you're an advocate of (laughs) full-time studying um what what did you expect the experience to be? So before you actually went there, I'm sure you had um, certain expectations. Um, what were they and what did you want to get out of doing your MBA? Okay. So I guess because life was crazy at work, I did expect there to be a lot more time to think through think things through. I was greatly mistaken there. It was quite fast track. But you start mm-hmm. hoping that, okay, maybe I'll have this time to like woosah, breathe, take it all in. Um, yeah. I also hope that I would be with people who are in similar stages of their career. 
which I did get. So then using them as sounding boards, you know, especially since I came from mining where people had more years of experience than I had life. So talking to somebody about 60 and career changes, it's for them a different world. It's like us. Yeah. You know, I'm a trip saying, how do we do this? And because we're so out of touch, we, <laughs> we might be giving fossil fuel advice, but the generation has changed. So having those people who are, uh, also in the similar sort of walk of life, explaining to me their challenges and, and using them as sounding boards. I also wanted to have like a bubble where you get access to companies and networks, you know, versus me always Googling and trying to like make sense of the content on a website. Now you have a person who comes to school and says, this is my, this is my uh, company, this is what we do. And not only the ones that you know of, but the ones that are you would have never thought about, like different people coming up with new ways of solving problems. So opening my mind into um, what opportunities there lie, what the world's going to move into. Um, so that was really the big things, like getting expansion in mindset and also getting expansion in um, sounding boards, not just from people who are older than me, but also people the same yeah. age group as me, and just having the ability to to focus on myself. I think it was the first time in a long while that I was extremely selfish. Because you didn't yeah. exactly have to, you know, you didn't have parents <laughs> that you had to worry boss. about or <laughs> boss. Or you sort of come in and, and it's a very selfish experience and maybe because it's a one year, but you come out richer. I came out more energized. I came out more focused. Um, some um, Along the way, you do have to apologize to your friends and family saying, hey, guys, like time is not the commodity I have right now. So if you can oh, just trust wow. me <laughs> and be on my side. I'll be back, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Taking this one-year ad break. Like, <laughs> see you in 2020. And, you know, true to form, I got a, what is this, a pandemic? So I have a lot of time now. <laughs> <laughs> to catch up with everyone. <laughs> exactly. Like, since I know that home, I'll be like, hmm, back now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, wow. Fantastic. Um and 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 in terms of like where, because I know with um, a lot of varsities, they go on like tours to try and recruit people, um, and you have like international institutions, and you have our local guys like Gibbs and Hindleys. Um, how did you get to your decision to go and study where you studied? And just tell me, how do you actually pronounce the name of where you went to? Yeah, it's Insead. <laughs> Yeah. N- NCA. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How did you How did you choose? Like, this is the institution um, most suitable to me. Okay. So there's a little bit of different criteria I considered. So because the first one that was really important to me, because I'd been working for a while, I really wanted a cohort that had been who had had experience as well. So I didn't want to have people in my class who had like theoretical knowledge of the problem. So I wanted them to say, yeah, actually, you know, in my job, I had experienced this and therefore the conversations okay. are richer because of experience. And that yeah. meant that the average age had to be a little bit older. And so NCAD has a little what's bit What's older? Higher. When you say older, what, 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 what's older? So 29 is the average age of NCAD. Okay. So people had roughly between two to six years work experience. In the US, okay. they have this culture, and I could be mistaken, but they tend to try, try to do everything once. So they'll go do undergrad, then they'll do postgrad. If they want to do doctoral, do that too, and then they'll you know, go work. But then oh, it ends wow. up being a lot okay. of uh, like theoretical experiences. And for me, that was yeah. 
attractive. You know, I wanted to have somebody who said, actually, yeah, this theory is great, but you know, in Africa, y'all can't do this. You can't just <laughs> do work like this. And having that <laughs> exactly <laughs> that experience, I mean, that of- practical. No, it's it's actually so important. I mean, I, I I see myself even like with the experience that I've gained over the years that I've worked now, which is ten plus. Um, it 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 actually does start to show. Yeah, even when you're engaging with people. Yeah. Then another criteria was the finances. So when I, because I'd been working for a while, um, the opportunity cost of one year of salary ends up being high. So I decided, you know what, I'm doing a one year MBA. Two years just too costly. Uh, I don't want to be out of the game for too long. But also, yeah. you know, my mental stamina. I feel like one year, me and my body were like done thinking about things. So it starts losing its <laughs> like magic in the second year. And I could already yeah. see also around about October, I could feel like that little bit of a a peak of like it had gone from being whimsical to being a chore. Um, but also I think for me then a one year was more of a smarter uh, uh, choice and career to follow. I wanted a, a place that had a strong brand. So NCI is roughly in the top five of most types of um, accolades. So the financial times mm. and pros and cons. So that when you do have this, if you do make this investment, you know, you want to have a name that everybody recognizes. It's probably yes. not better in the European sphere. And it was a region that I wanted to work in um, at the point in time when I was evaluating. I said, actually, why don't I go to try and look for work in Europe? And through conversations with alumni, mentors, they said, actually, it does unlock jobs very well. So mm. uh, I thought, OK, then doing an MBA in Europe would help you. Versus, for example, in the US, I didn't exactly want to work in the US. But also you find that a lot of companies that went to recruit in the US wanted US candidates in terms of citizenship. Ah, even yeah. see the fear that Trump like closed borders. Now what must happen? Like so it became um, better for me to do a European one um, because also the companies that came to school they knew that it was going to happen. We had not roughly 90 nationalities in our cohort uh, of 500 Whoa, people. Wow. So yeah. If you were more than 8% from the same nation, you were the exception, right? So that became wow. really exciting um, in terms of the learning opportunities. So, yeah, I'd say that, like, it was the the age, the ability to have a one-year program. Therefore, I wouldn't have too much of financial investment. It was mm. the diversity in the classroom as well as the strength of the, the brand. And with the brand comes the alumni. So I won't lie that mm. this year, every time I've been getting a new project or a new client and I don't know what to do, I literally call somebody up and I'll be like, remember last year, April? They're like, no, we don't. <laughs> you had this interesting talk. It's funny how your mind starts. You may not have even thought in class that this was interesting, but now I'm like calling up it to them because I know that's what they do. That's their air, they breathe. And for me, it's like less, um, it's more of a whole new world to me. And they they do take my calls and five to 10 minutes, oh, wow. they'll operationally explain the yeah. concept. So, okay, so the alumni networks are actually quite strong there, or is it something that you have to um, basically try and make the most out of? I think it's both. So the alumni network is strong because if there's that many nationalities, it means that they're pretty much global. Wherever you need somebody to help you out, they do exist. They've seen it all. Um, there's somebody in the instead cohort. But of course, if you don't reach out, they'll never know you have a problem, right? And I of found course, that every time I've course. reached out, they've given me a response. Sometimes the quality of the response differs based on how close you are to them, but I'll always get a response. So those that I literally broke bread with, then they'll like they'll give me some research and they'll say, okay, they'll come to the meeting more prepared. 
somebody else who I just say um, NCR2, they'll still give me the best of their abilities, but they'll probably just arrive at the meeting and say, okay, that's what I think about it. So you yeah. can acknowledge how much they commit, but they still they still respond to that call, which I thought was very interesting in comparison to South African uh, universities, like either VETS or UCT. I don't know why we don't ride on that alumni network. It's almost as if we got know. that degree and we're good. Like, that's it. Get out. <laughs> Jesus. There's more people we need. Yeah, it's so true, actually, because even when I think of my previous varsity, um, I I don't get like invites to alumni events or have people say, hey, I know you went there and this is what I'm trying to do. It's like there's no real um, emphasis of alumni. Okay, but that's a story for another day. Um, with you as well, um, because you did say you were working and you now decided to do your MBA, um, the costs I know are crazy. Um, and every time I look at these, it's, it's like always in dollars and euros. And once you do the conversion, you're just like, how does anyone afford to actually go to these institutions? Um, and I'm not sure if the essay um, equivalent is also similar in terms of cost, but how did you navigate um, paying for this course and eventually doing it? So... Art, right? That is a very big investment. I do confirm this. And um, to give you an example, it's equivalent to a nice home in the burbs <laughs> or to of be course, yes. right? So <laughs> it's not a small investment that by any means. But what I think, similar to buying a car or buying a house, you need to think of it in that level. Like you don't wake up and say, tomorrow I'm buying a house. It does take years True. of planning. I, I think in 2014 was when I decided you know what, I'm going to try to do this. And by then I started keeping 50% of my salary in a savings wow. account. Oh um, my gosh. Towards, I, I don't even know if I had the institution in mind. I had just done the sums and I realized regardless, even in Gibbs, I think it was half a million um, sure. last time I checked in 2016, 17. So it's not small amounts, you know. No, but I'm a person all. who also values experiences more than material stuff. So it didn't feel like a sacrifice to, you know, drive the car that I did in 2010, that small Yaris, you know, power to the people. But <laughs> it was, <laughs> people were like upgrading the CAs or beamering. There I was, like running in your my Yaris. <laughs> you I, know? I had a Ford Figo. So I, I think I drove it till like 20. 18, 2019. So I feel you. Yeah. Cause everyone around you is upgrading and you're the, the only one who's still rocking your first car. Yeah. Correct. So because I knew that I valued experiences more than I did like the material stuff, I already put a huge chunk of my salary away. So when I ended up coming and applying towards the MBA, I think plus 50%, I sponsored a lot of savings. And then you have scholarship rounds when you apply to the MBAs. It's actually important that before you apply, you figure out when the scholarships do release. Some of them are released mm. quite early. So I was a very early applicant. That was the round one. I'm sure I was applicant number one because I was really <laughs> <laughs> trying to make sure that yeah, I needed this money to be as high as possible on the, on the scholarship end. And it tends to be higher in the beginning and then sort of withers down towards the end okay. as the application rounds decrease. So then I got roughly around about another 30% uh, from the scholarships. And then the delta is from loans. And that's still there. So, um, and the way to think about the MBA, the, what they show you on the website is just straight out fees, you know, like what you pay the institution. It does not include yes. living most of the times or food. Yay. So, oh my word. you still need some liquidity for that. And if you want to, you know, go in the full experience and travel, that's another 
a fee to it. So you actually have to take the fee, whatever they disclose, and probably add 20 to 30% addition to that. And then try yeah. and have that liquidity because otherwise it's there's nothing worse than stressing about class, starting stressing about recruitment, and then your bank balance is close to E and it's like March yeah. and you still got another couple of months ahead of you. So sure. um, it's important to, to realize it's considered a big investment, plan ahead. You know, a couple of years is helpful. But if not, um, people did take a loan for the full value. It's just that you have a higher a longer payback period. So roughly, if you do work in the international markets, it could be two to three years for paying. If you work in South Africa, because the RAND and the exchange rate is low, COVID didn't help it. So it's probably like six to probably eight years yeah. for payment. So, oh, my word. Yeah. Sure. Okay, so so this is really a huge investment in yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And um Besides the fees, what was the application process like? Um, because if I'm now saying, okay, cool, um, I've got the funds, I, I know I can pay for this, um, how, how does the application process go? Do I have to write a motivation letter? Do I have to take like a special test? Um, how did it work for you um, specifically at INSEAD? Inseed. I hope I'm saying it right. Oh my word. Just <laughs> please get it right after all these millions, y'all. <laughs> so it's okay. We'll get it right. At least I'll trumpet it. So it <laughs> So usually for all international schools, they generally have the same sort of points they require in terms of applications. The first yeah. entry point is the GMAT. Do not underestimate how much time it takes to prepare for that test. It's a standardized mm. test. Um, okay. And as South Africans, we haven't really been tested in that form. It's more frequently used in the U.S., so they have SAT. So their minds are yeah. geared at that type of testing. So for them, it's usually like a, a, a better walk in the park. I think for me, it was okay. a real a real struggle to to learn it, to get the materials, even investing in probably consulting and coaching people or people coaching me to make sure I get yeah. the best um, grade to help in the application process. And that I started in 2014, even though I didn't apply. So probably took some time for myself to ramp up, especially as you're doing it as you work. So mm. it really does require you to consistently learn the skills. Then once you're done with that and you've got a, a GMAT under your belt, you have to go to the schools and then find out what essays they want. Um, so INSEAD was a little bit more comprehensive in their essay requirement. They required seven okay. essays just from the individual, ah. right? Okay. I can't also believe in myself, but it, it requires introspection. Like you nearly have to reflect. It's not the questions about like, what is one plus one? You know, it's really yes. who are you? Why did you do this? Why did you do this through your career? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? So that took me another first a month or so, you know, to first digest the questions and then go to the to the school's website, understand about the school's culture, their values, understand what they're looking yeah. for from a candidate, talk to the alumni, you know, like talk to your own mentor, your friends, your family, have them say, actually, Maureen, what is your real strengths? What are your weaknesses? How do you come across? Wow. You know? So it really is like collecting all these data points. So there's no way, I don't recommend that you wake up, write these essays and submit. Like it's really, it's a, a <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not that easy. It's not that easy You know, easy South Africans, all. that's all we want. We just right? want like the easiest shortcut to the solution. That's what we want. Yeah. 
Exactly. And I say this because I've had people call me up and I think they don't give themselves enough time. So don't underestimate how much time you need to prepare, at least to get those questions. There is no wrong or right answer, but the way you package it. And specifically for people who are maybe quants and numbers orientated, we're not really good at storytelling, you know, like they need a story. Like, why are they going to buy into you? What is your brand? So that's another element. And then number two, once you've got GMAT and your essays under lock, you move to your recommenders. So they need roughly two people to speak about who you are. And if your recommenders oh, wow. are anybody worth your salt, they're probably busy people <laughs> in their own of right. Course. So of you have and to they lock now them have in. to write this recommendation letter. Oh my God. Right? Yeah. And probably a page or more. They probably haven't written this. What I found is people, if they haven't been exposed to an international MBA, they have well, they have good intentions, but they don't communicate well. They think of it as a performance review, you know, like Maureen is good. Yeah. Three stars, like that's not what. <laughs> that's not what. That's not what they're looking, looking for. for. <laughs> I had to get there with the one recommender. Pretty much give them a template of the things that they're looking for. They have to stay yeah. like in that year without you being there. These are the things they wouldn't have achieved. This is what you brought yeah. into the team. This is how you are as a person. Pretty much saying that they would hire you again. So you have to also handhold them. And the diaries are crazy. So that probably takes another couple of months to manage that. And then once you have that all packaged, you then send the application. And then, yeah, if you get an interview, there's another process involved to prepare yourself for that interview to make sure that you do come across as the way you put yourself onto on paper and preparing, you know, to have your story concise because it's very quick. It's like 10, 15, maybe 30 minutes max. And they need, yeah. to, need to communicate your essence. So I think that's the, the biggest thing. Like it's, it's, an investment in time, it's worthwhile. Don't yeah. try and short circuit it. If you short circuit yeah. it, it only hurts you. And then, yeah, so once you get to the end, and also I found that the essays help me then better understand what I wanted to do in the classes, you know, what schools, what uh, lift, what you do. Yeah, I wanted to apply. Because yeah. it's so short. So at least it gets your brain thinking, you know, like, okay, you said you wanted to do this after the MBA. So, what does it mean in terms of classes? What does it mean in terms of networking? And which companies are looking for? It just gives you a head start because once you're at the starting point, that gun shoots and everyone's running. So <laughs> <laughs> you really want to make sure you've got everything. You don't want to be like false that. <laughs> wow. I mean, Maureen, sure. I actually had no idea that, I mean, GMATs to essays to recommend, my gosh, like before you've even like been accepted, then you start to figure out like the fees. It, it already sounds like a lot. Okay, but you you then get accepted by this international institution and you get there. Um, what was your first impressions about your specific cohort? Um, and what was your feeling like in the first few days of actually being there? Did you think it's 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 what you had expected um when you had thought this is what I want to do because you had thought about it for quite some time so I think in the beginning because I came open-minded I was almost absorbing everything it's almost like when you're in a new space I'm sort of the person who's absorbing the different energies a lot of people came with their own stories you start hearing about like how great people are what they've done in their previous lives so it's exciting in that aspect that you're sort of learning on the fly not necessarily just in the classrooms but outside the classrooms at a tremendous rate like 
um, about what they're doing, what they're inspired to do. So that was the the, the part that I quite liked. And um, what you realize is quite quickly start getting into the things of creating like a plan because time is very, very limited. Uh, I really thought that mm-hmm. I would have more time to find my feet. But think of yeah. it as like, you know, going to an, a buffet, you've, you've paid this expensive price and now you get that small little side plate <laughs> and now you have to like, <laughs> choose what you're going to put in the side plate to feed yourself to get your money's worth. But at the same time, you're stuck yeah. with a limiting factor. So the time is a limiting factor. And what's your strategy now? Do you wholeheartedly go into course, but then you'll miss out on opportunities to network, you'll miss out on the yeah. clubs, the social clubs. And so quickly I learned that there's trade-offs to be made and to have peace with the trade-offs. In the beginning, there was a lot of FOMO and then you realize it's not sustainable yeah, to go to everything. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so, and then you start picking and choosing. So I think it was in the beginning really important for me to take it all in. And um, NCID has this analogy of a farmer versus a hunter. Like there's... There's benefits in being a, ha- a farmer and just like harvesting your crops slowly, planting the seeds, seeing what pops out. Yeah. And then from there being more focused versus if you go straight down narrow, this is my dream. This is what I hoped for. You could miss the <laughs> other subtle, you know, nuggets of hope along the way. So um, I think it was just balancing that all the time. And I guess from there it got easier. Um, and what was for me very interesting is I think in university we always had like grades at the forefront of our minds. So everything we did was of like, course. don't hurt the grades, yeah. yeah. But INSEAD and most other international universities, they have a non-disclosure. So what dumb questions what could does you that ask? Mean? They'll never tell anybody your, your grades. They just say MBA. It doesn't say what percentage. Oh. It doesn't say A. It's just like, unless you got like Dean's List, then they say Dean's Merit or Cum Laude, but everybody else just gets MBA. It doesn't disclose what percentage oh, you got. Oh, wow. So, so wait, do, so do you know how well or like not so well you're doing while you're in this MBA. Yeah. So when you're in the bubble, there is is grace that they're telling you and you get them and then you get a feel. And if you're not doing well in comparison to your cohort, then there is interventions. But I think because it's not disclosed, your psyche then allows for yourself to be more bold and daring with your questions. You start doing less focus on, you know, getting good grades because no one's going to see them anyway. So then you start thinking about, okay, maybe I should invest time into getting to know different people in my class, um, getting to learn a new language, travel a bit, um, network more. So I actually realized that when you don't have that, you know, risk of your grades will be disclosed to everybody, it does open up a lot of opportunities uh, for you to explore and be daring, even ask questions in class where you know that before it would be seen as a dumb question. Now it's like, what? You can't fail me. Like, <laughs> at least <laughs> on class participation, they can't, right? So that There's was... no dumb question here. Well, I don't know Correct. about that. And um, in terms of um, networking, because I've heard this so often, and maybe uh, people's ideas of networking is different. Um, when you think of networking, what does it mean? to you and also how did you then network in this new environment with these people who um, you've met through your MBA course? So the way I see network is just having a group of people, your tribe, your community that you can rely on either when you don't have the answers, you know, instead of getting an expensive consultant in, you have this network of friends that you can call up and get answers or even emotional support or upliftment. So it doesn't have to be sophisticated in terms of 
like the, the things that they'll give you and also you'll be plowing back. So it's not as if they're there to be used. You're also going to be adding positively of to this network. There has to be spin-off effects. So how I wanted it to then develop was to, because I wanted to pivot out of mining, I just wanted to have people who were different from my previous background. So not mining, not CA, and just have that diversity in industry and in region in the event that I do want to move into these areas. So mm. how we did it in school, they had the formal way of doing a network. So they put you in study groups from the get-go and it was based on industry and region. You're sort of between four to five people and you can use them for the core subjects. So sounding boards when you have accounting, finance, strategy, okay. etc. And you, you talk to them and you sort of develop a, a relationship, but it's founded on, on class. And then you also have your section groups. So the MBA is quite huge, it's roughly 500 people over two countries uh, in, in, in Seattle. So it's a big group. But then they had the, That's the big. core. Yeah, exactly. So, But then they had the core of 70 that you would attend your classes with, at least for the first six months, consistently with these people. So then you would also be able to mix and mingle. And they had also mixes or dinners and events. So that was the structured groups. I also decided from the get-go, because I know I'm more like introverted, I decided to push myself and I decided to book myself into a house of 11 people. So I was like in the beginning, really? like, go big, y'all. <laughs> that, is, that is a lot of change in a very short space of time. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it was it was good in that aspect. So everyone had their own bathroom and rooms. So that was helpful. But just to come home and, you know, every time I felt like, oh, let me just do some, you know, like unwind by myself there'd be something happening in the house and somebody would have a dinner or we had everybody from like Italian British like Indian everybody sort of all regions it was like the the United Nations was my home so (laughs) (laughs) it then allowed for me to also you know get a richer perspective of like people like in their natural habitats and engage with them and then there's the social clubs so I had a group of people from the Africa club that I still connected with. Um, we were probably 12, so we weren't that many that you probably do the nod to each other on campus because <laughs> we were like, yeah, we made it. So <laughs> We're here. <laughs> I, yeah, so I bonded with them, and I guess it's because we – we, our homes and our hearts were in Africa. So we knew some of the solutions would be best placed for advanced or developed markets. Emerging markets might have a little bit more to deal with. So I wanted a network to call somebody who hasn't had best practice and somebody could say, okay, you know, that's how I've seen it in either Kenya, Nigeria, Ghana, yeah. to, to help me at least, you know, with that. And then, yeah, the things from like career clubs. So I know I wanted to do some social impact. I did that, types of clubs and then charity so there was more by design of like interests and likes and then by mm. either your geographical placements and where you lived or your study groups. I think those was already in itself networks in addition to like going out or dinners. Those yeah. were just, you know, the cream. But those only, one doesn't really feel like connected to somebody just because you met them once in a club. It can help, but yeah. you're not even sure if that person connected to you. Anymore. Even remembers you. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I always try to reinforce it with these, you know. And even if you had just one really good engagement, I think that was enough for mm. me to carry it through to to be, like I said now, like April last year, hey, fam, you know, last year you talked about this. Like, I'm looking around this. Do you have an insight? And then just from that moment, you know, they'd be able to connect with. So yeah, okay. it was it's it's a constant thing, and yeah, it's 
it's how you make of it. Okay, okay. And and if you had to think of um, disadvantages, I wanted to say, what are the advantages and disadvantages of doing an MBA? <laughs> but um, do you think that this is something that everyone should do um, in, in, in their career, whether they're entrepreneurs or they're career-driven people? Um, who do you think the MBA is suited to? So I definitely think it's a fit thing, you know, almost like how people say, should you go to university or should you go to Technicon? Like there is no right answer. It's about the way you absorb knowledge and, and the the spaces that you do it well in. So I wouldn't say that it's for everybody, you know, at the same time, those that decide to do it, I think there's value in, in, in yeah. doing it. Um, what type of person? So if I look at why I needed to do it, I just felt like there was a stagnation, you know, like in my own career. Um, I didn't want my company to be in charge of my career plan, but they weren't active. And I asked them, like, what should I do? What should I learn, you know, to make this next step? They're like, no, you're doing well. We're not sure. Then they just put in the years, you know. So that then became for me important um if you're a person yeah. who knows exactly what you want and so you just want to deep dive into your current um role maybe all you need to do is a coursera or a udemy and you just get that skill set and you deep dive because you're already in the exact like company or in the exact role you or function yeah exactly so i wanted to pivot so i wanted to leave mining i didn't really have a good mining network base i also didn't know how exactly to where exactly to pivot to so i knew i wanted to do either strategy but it's so broad, like in which industry, you know, looking at yeah. what types of things. So the MBA by design, because you take the year to reflect, and there's a lot of reflection. I can't even, you know, emphasize. You get, just to have a little bit of a segue, uh, like you get a career coach, you get an individual coach, you get a team yeah. coach, you get the psychiatrist. Jeez. Everybody is asking you, like, what do you want? You know, why did you want this? Some of the things you start realizing, actually, my community wanted this for me. Actually, my, my parents wanted this for me. My so if you're you're still like trying to piece like what does career mean i don't think it's a bad way to to go into this and have the second echo especially if you felt that um a lot of us millennials were the, the first generation of like careers so they sort of flung us into there and they're like do well my child like we didn't have these opportunities exactly. it's a lot of pressure yeah. to carry and now when somebody a lot until retirement are you ready to do this for the next <laughs> Like, yeah, like, uh, I didn't know it was such a big decision when I made it, but uh, now, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe not. Okay, okay. Yeah. So the pivot sure. thing, it helps you to then go into an MBA, I, I think, if you specifically if, you're, if you know that you want to move into a different line, um, maybe that's a good way to do it and then transition back, yeah, at least because you can leverage the, the firms that come to school and those networks and then move on. Sure. Okay. And and you said a lot. You've you've spoken a lot about pivoting and how you 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 were looking for a way to get out of mining um, and also expanding your networks. Um, once you've now completed your MBA, how have you been able to pivot? Um, you know, have your career aspirations changed? Have has the industry that you want to now work in and be involved in changed since you've done it? Okay. So. 
I graduated in December. Like it felt like the world was my oyster. I, I recruited. I got this really cool job in the region that I wanted. I was super excited. And then you know, COVID came in. So a lot of everybody's ROIs were like, "Oof, there goes that." So <laughs> all the plans, but I think yeah. the, the tools and the skill set still remained. I, I left really energized and you know, feeling like now is my time to have a second breath and you know, be more active in my career. Um, mm. I think because I have went through the MBA, I know I'm a little bit more picky this year. Uh, I know that it's a recession and I know there's not many jobs out there, but I also don't want to take something because it's available. I started realizing yeah. that if you get into this rut, you know, it's so easy to to be negative in your own in your own workspace. You know, you want to be the person who goes, actually, even if they don't pay me, I'm coming to work and we're changing this gig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to find something like that. So I've been, you know, very picky. And then that also enabled me to be um, more bold and confident to take on um, routes that I perhaps wouldn't have considered before the MBA. So I was always thinking corporate pre-MBA. During the MBA, I figured there's different ways to add values. There's different ways to look at careers. It doesn't actually have to yeah. be a ladder. It can be a ladder. Sometimes you can move naturally. Sometimes you can move down. And also, that first thing, heaven forbid, <laughs> you take a demotion. But you move down. <laughs> and I'll be like, what is that? But I think you don't. And the trade-off, even if you move up, there's other trade-offs you don't see that you're making sacrifices. Our career health um, that might be important um, so now I'm, I'm doing my own thing sort of like in consulting and entrepreneurship um, either working with SMEs currently I'm bidding for some work in the Western Cape uh, and it's sort of advanced but I think I wouldn't have had this courage had it not been for the MBA and maybe because mm-hmm. corporate gives you this false sense of training wheels like you need this corporate machine in order to have an identity and, and then when I went to the MBA, I think it just it helped me just break that training wheel and say, you know what, maybe now is a good time to to really try it out. I think COVID also accelerated like, the need to try it out. But yeah, I think yeah. I'm also like in between two spaces. I'm excited about that. At the same time, if a good opportunity pops up and it gives me, you know, the things that I want in terms of uh, success personally and professionally, then I'll also take that up. But yeah, it's been an interesting uh, experience. I also hope the tools will maintain for a while because heaven knows I'm not ready for PhD. So this is not to say. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is all that you can handle. Yeah, right. Exactly. Wow. Oh my gosh, Maureen. I mean, it's it's been so fascinating. I actually had no clue just how much one it actually is to do an MBA and the type of investment that people actually have to put in before they even get accepted to do an MBA. And then once you start, it's then like a machine. <laughs> like It just doesn't stop. Um, but just to close it off, I mean, this is the Superpower Podcast. And I know I said this is a new segment where we get to deep dive into a very specific topic. And we've been talking about um, an MBA. But when you um, think about your MBA journey and when you think about all that you've accomplished um what would you consider to be your superpower I know it's so like vague but like what do you think makes you stand out unique and um like will make you um basically like stand out to you know future employers or even to run your own business 
So I think the one thread that has helped me through the MBA that I realized is just being resilient, you know, and, and also just being flexible. Like the world's changing. We're in a pandemic. The things we hope for are not falling into place. The MBA is also quite fast-tracked. Uh, so I think it's it's just acknowledging that you have a plan, but if things change, be adaptable, move to that. And, yeah. and don't give up on your on your dream. Don't let that be the reason, that be the the cost, you know, to, to everything that you're pursuing. So just be resilient, continue being flexible. That's what's helped me a lot. Uh, I think even now um, with a lot of the things happening, I think that's the only thing that I've got that I feel that is, is helped me be sane for the year, just, you know, managing not like the loss <laughs> from the prior job, yeah. but what's the hope of, of this new opportunity that's going to come and how I'm gearing up myself and preparing myself for, you know, the opportunities that will come post-COVID. So it's just being like resilient, being flexible and just don't don't let no stop you, don't let barriers stop you. And it's, mm. it's, it's possible, yeah. So having that mindset. Okay. That's, that's, that's so impressive. Thanks again, Maureen, for taking um, time out of your diary and your strategy consulting <laughs> to come tell us about your MBA journey. Thank you, Tibbs. You know, NCAD and I are so happy to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. I'll practice. I'll practice, Maureen. I'll practice. I'll do you proud. Yeah. Make my BMW worth its salt. <laughs> but yeah, okay, it's been really then. exciting. Thanks for your time as well. Bye. Hey, you made it to the end of the interview. Thanks so much for listening and hope you learned a thing or two. Please make sure to subscribe, review, and leave a voice note for any lady who inspires you. Till next week, have an awesome one. Cheers.